Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we bring on Brett Danforth, who is the co-managing director for the Wolfpack Investor Network and a investor or member of the Wolfpack Investor Network, um, Gazelle Johnston. So many of you may know, may not know, that several of the universities here in the state um, have created these networks. Um, the networks operate most, um, uh, much like a subscription service where you pay an annual fee to see access to deal flow um, in addition to the deal flow, you get due diligence, and the due diligence therefore informs you as to whether or not you want to make an investment or not. And if you do, you can invest into these growth companies that typically have some type of tie to the university. So um, the investor is typically tied to the university, and the companies usually tied to the university. So we sat down and talked with the business, uh, talked with Brett a little bit about the business model, how it works, what they do, um, and then we wanted Gazelle in the in in the podcast as well, just to talk about what her experience is. So she comes out of the consulting world. Um, her husband's in the um, in the finance banking community on the M and A side. So you know, how do they look at it? How do they approach it? Um, what was their initial impression? What's their um, their perception now that they've been part of it? And just that nice back and forth going between the the two of two of them between Brett and Gazelle, and I think it led to a really nice discussion of that early stage investing and how people might engage with it. So uh, once again, I hope you listening to I hope you enjoy listening to another episode of the Charlotte Angel Connection. Um, with Brett and Gazelle. Well, welcome to the show today, Brett and Gazelle. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, certainly excited to have Brett from the Wolfpack Investor uh, and Network here in Charlotte. Um, and it's great to meet you for the first time as well. Yeah, nice to meet you too. So, um, I think I've told both of you, I like to get started off in the podcast with kind of a softball question. Um, so, if you can just give us that 60 to 120 second kind of intro of who you are, um, we'll get started and we'll, we'll, we'll roll from there. So, um, Brett, no offense, but ladies first. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. Hey, this is Gazelle Johnston. Um, I'm an NC State graduate. I graduated in 1996 with degrees from the College of Textiles and College of Humanities and Social Sciences. I spent 20 years um, at Accenture uh, in our banking practice as a partner running our credit lending division and then uh, retired a couple of years back and I now work at Daymaker. It's a charitable gift giving platform that companies use to engage their employees in a meaningful giving experience. And I live in Charlotte and have for basically the last 20 years and have a husband and two kids who keep me busy when I'm not doing all that other stuff. That's awesome. So, um, well, congratulations on stepping away, and um, it seems like a, a probably a neat position that you're in now, um, and we'll certainly want to explore that in a little while as well. Cool. Um, so, Brett? Yeah, I'm Brett Danforth. Um, I am also an NC State graduate, a 2011 graduate from the Poole College, and um, am the co-managing director of the Wolfpack Investor Network. Coming straight out of college, I, I spent a little bit of time with a family office investor, um, scratched an entrepreneurial itch for a couple years, and then uh, spent five years at Square One Bank, um, which was acquired by Pacific Western Bank while I was there. So spent time um, managing relationships with early stage companies and Series A, Series B investors uh, in the Southeast. So uh, that's how I got involved in the venture space a little bit. and. Uh, then joined the Wolfpack Investor Network at the beginning of 2019. So, uh, been here about nine months, and uh, I am also married and have three kids, three little girls that are uh, four and under right now. So, um, if you ask me what things keep me up at night, it's the three of them. Yeah. You currently have all your hair and it's not great. Um, that'll change. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so Brett. Um, just talk for a few minutes about what the Wolfpack Investor Network is, 
Um, then we'll kind of transition over and find out how you found out about it and became engaged. Um, so what is it? Yeah, so the Wolfpack Investor Network is an angel network that connects NC State-affiliated early-stage companies to NC State-affiliated angel investors. And on So the, no Chapel Hill people allowed? <laughs> so on the investor side, uh, those are about 80% NC State alums, uh, about 5 to 10% NC State parents, either current students or alums, uh, about 5 to 10% faculty and staff, and then we also have some friends of the university uh, involved. So on the friends of the university side of things, it's really anybody who can get behind the concept that a company's tied to NC State is going to be beneficial as it grows. And that, that companies with an NC State tie are going to be more successful uh, because of that tie. Okay. So that's the investor side. On the company side, the, the companies that we look at either have an NC State alum on the management team or they are licensing technology from the university, um, regardless of you know, the makeup of the management team. So the breakdown there is of the 19 companies we have in the portfolio, we have 15 of those that have an NC State alum on the management team. And then four of those are licensing technology from the university. Okay. And what we do is we see about 150 companies per year. We have a right now we have a two for two person staff, and we see about 150 companies per year. Our goal is to then distill that down to about eight to ten companies and deals per year for our membership for our 150 uh, members to see. Okay. So uh, we present those in once a month in person meetings. And then we distribute a video of the meeting, uh, some diligence materials, and the terms of the investment out to the whole group if they couldn't make the meeting. Okay. Giselle, how did you find out about the Wolfpack Investor Network? Yeah, so I'm pretty involved at NC State in general. I'm actually on the board for the NC State Foundation. Okay. I'm working on an effort around women in philanthropy. And I've had the good fortune of being a judge at the Poole College of Management um, Innovation Showcase a couple of times, which is an opportunity for students and um, graduate students to basically uh, demonstrate projects and things that they've worked on. Um, it was actually through a combination of those things that I started to get increasingly more familiar with a lot of the really cool technology and some of the programming that was coming out of NC State. And um, because I was really already involved more in like the philanthropy side of things, um, it was an opportunity to basically look at some of more of the ideas and the innovation and the technology coming out of the school and thinking about a way to get behind it. Uh, so when Wynn was first introduced to me, it was under this concept of, well, if you're interested in some of the um, activities in terms of how NC State's solving problems and using some of their solutions in the community or in the marketplace, take a look at what Wynn's trying to do because they're actually trying to get behind some of these efforts and take them to the next level. And so I had an early conversation, I guess it's been a couple years now, we, you know, when they start, first started you know, expanding outside of Raleigh and really trying to get members from the Charlotte area to get involved. And I looked at some of the deals that had already just most recently happened and I think kind of just aligned with um, what I was hoping in terms of the types of deals that they would be getting involved in. And because it was aligned with what we wanted to do, my husband and I wanted to do from just, you know, the places we would like to see um, advances being made from a um, tech side or even just from, like I said, solutions that were solving what we thought were really uh, important problems, we thought it'd be a great way to get involved. Had you done early stage investing before, um, or was this kind of your first tiptoe into that direction? Yeah, a little bit. So um, we had done a little bit, and I and it's interesting. So I mentioned how I started at Daymaker uh, shortly after I left Accenture, and that was a, not exactly planned in terms of the timing. I thought I was going to spend a little bit more time soul searching uh, than I ended up doing. But um, today, uh, yeah, I know barely. Yeah, it was funny. So my husband actually is a um, an investment banker in town, okay. works in mergers and acquisitions. He oftentimes has participates as a judge in these different mm -hmm. tech competitions. And things that come up and he had first heard about Daymaker at the time the name was Communigift and um, there was a category in one of these competitions it was the student category and he came back from the meeting and he's like look I met these guys they're a bunch of students and they're doing some really interesting um, things with technology in terms of trying to help engage individuals to become more meaningful um, donors and how to get into habits of kindness and generosity I think you should look at what they're doing 
So I went to NC State, my husband went to Duke, and he's talking about a handful of Carolina boys. And so I was like, who are these kids you want me to give our money to? Uh, and it just kind of became this running joke between us. They were actually all in school at the time, but um, I did take a look at what they were doing. I looked at their business plan. I looked at what they had piloted, and it was really cool and interesting. So that was actually how we got involved in the beginning with Daymaker was as investors. Okay. And so it was over time as we kind of got to know um, the, the management team and as they were moving from pilot into more of a full-scale implementation that I started getting involved more heavily. So I'm not to say every company we were going to invest in, I was going to turn into uh, being on the management team, but I think it was a really good way for me to also understand um, how uh, early-stage companies operate, how they go through fundraising, um, and um, while I've continued to stay involved at Daymaker at a, a pretty intense level, I do also feel like with these other companies that I've been able to you know, learn about through when I'm able to you know, have an appreciation for some of the processes that these entrepreneurs are going through by virtue of what I was able to see up close through my Daymaker experience. Okay. No, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Brett said earlier that they do the meetings once a month, or Wolfpack Investor Network does the meetings once a month, they do them in Raleigh. Um, you're here in Charlotte. Do you make it up to Raleigh on a regular basis, or do you watch the videos, or some hodgepodge of the two? Yeah, I've never made it to Raleigh for a meeting. Okay. Um, the meetings are during the week, and between our work schedules and family schedules, um, it's pretty difficult to try to get up there. I would imagine so. Um, now, um, I, because I'm up in Raleigh a handful of times because of my other commitments at NC State, um, I'm waiting for the, the moon and the stars to align, and both of those meetings are going to be able to happen at the same time, and I'll get there for an in-person meeting. But in the meantime, yeah, I mean, I'll admit one of my, my probably my only point of hesitation before getting involved with Wynn was proximity. We live in Charlotte. You're talking about investing your money into a company, and you're talking about you know wanting to get to know a little bit about these entrepreneurs and who they are as, and what their intentions and, and what their plans are, and, and not being able to do that in person, I think at first felt um, a little bit unclear to us. Um, I will say the videos have proved to be incredibly successful. Frankly, I don't watch all of them. Yeah. I can tell pretty quickly the ones that are going to align to what's important to me, um, and even the, looking at some of the terms that we get familiar with out of the gate, it's pretty quick for me to be able to know in my own filtering process which ones I'm going to sit down and pull out the video and watch, and which ones I'm probably going to pass on. Um, I do think Brett and the team do a fantastic job of making sure we get uh, information out ahead of time, so uh, it's not really a, a, a huge time uh, drain if uh, you know uh, for me to spend a lot of time ahead of time. So no, everything I've been able to do, I've done remotely. Okay, um, Brett, how do you do it, right? How do you um, so talk a little bit about the excellent information that y'all put out so that it's easy for Gazelle to sit here in Charlotte and make that decision, right? What's the process for the meeting? Um, the video, the information that goes out to membership, what what's that communication and data like? Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the, the strengths of what we do is that, we, like I mentioned, we see about 150 companies per year and we distill that down to about 8 to 10 for the group to see. And once we decide that a company is going to present in front of the group, we, we immediately kick off our diligence process. Uh, a lot of groups that look like ours will wait until they measure the interest of the members before they kick off the diligence process. But what we do is we go ahead and schedule a meeting about a month out, and then we engage about three to four MBA students uh, who, who work alongside us on that diligence process. And, and fortunately, they get to run the diligence process by themselves. They get to interact directly with the companies, and um, they provide about a 20 to 30 page diligence report. Um, so they, they work on that for the month leading up to the meeting. and. And then at that meeting, the company presents for about 30 minutes. The members ask questions for uh, about 30 minutes, and there's a little bit of social time on each side. And coming out of that meeting, the MBA students who have gotten their diligence report to about 90 or 95% complete at that point, they update it with the Q&A from the members, any information that uh, has become more clear. Um, and then the members have a chance to lob questions in that they didn't ask during the process so that they could be added to the diligence report. So theoretically, within four to 10 days after that presentation, we send out a video of the presentation, that diligence report that is mostly done by NC State MBA students uh, with a couple other students around campus, some faculty sometimes helping. And they would help for technical expertise 
um, or inside knowledge about the product space that the company is. Is that right? Yeah, I would say uh, both of those things. Yeah. So, uh, subject matter experts uh, around the university. Uh, we will also include members sometimes in that process uh, if they have specific experience that uh, they could drive the questions we ask in diligence or um, or you know given a give an opinion on the information we get from a company so it's both on the product in the market um, as well as kind of the, the deal as a whole and so the goal is within four to ten days of that of that presentation to get a diligence report out, a video of the presentation, any kind of updates or news from the company in the last week or so, and then the terms of the deal. So Wynn doesn't lead any investments mm -hmm. um, because of the, the responsibility that I can and can't have to our members. So uh, we are going to follow existing terms uh, on on all of the deals that we do. Okay. So the term sheet is provided by the lead investor. Okay. And uh, so we send out that term sheet to all of our members. And then they have about 10 days to two weeks to make an individual investment decision into each deal. Our minimum investment amount in any deal is usually $10,000. Mm -hmm. And um, and that, that goes up to the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, you know, in terms of the commitments that win members have made into different deals. And they have about 10 days to two weeks to respond and uh, ask any follow-up questions they have. Sometimes we'll even connect the team with the management team, connect the investors, the angel investors with the management team if they want to speak directly. Or I'll aggregate some of the questions and lob them into the company and then update all the members um, with kind of the questions and answers that have come up. And it's a pretty straightforward process to commit to a deal the members respond to me and say, hey, I'm in for X amount. And we put them into a table and uh, kind of keep the membership updated throughout the, the two-week commitment process yeah. and kind of how many members and what amount have, have been committed. And then at the end of that two weeks, we close the commitment period. We shoot that uh, spreadsheet over to the company and the company follows up with those members individually. Okay. So they're all making direct investments into the companies. Yeah. Um, we have created vehicles in, in some situations, although that's generally not what we do. And So um, every every investor then is on the company's cap table. Yes. Um, you have created entities where people are members of the entity and the entity is on the cap table, but that is not the norm. That's, that's not the norm yep. um, for a, a host of reasons, but uh, it, it tends to be the cleanest for us yep. um, and for our members if they're direct investors. And uh, so they're making individual decisions and then they're investing directly into the companies. But uh, the process that, the way that we are engaged after that is a lot of times keeping them updated with news, um, tracking the company's performance. Generally our companies report performance to us uh, monthly or quarterly. And sometimes they will, they will communicate directly with the investors and they'll include me in that process. And then sometimes they will communicate uh, updates to me directly, and then we'll distribute that out to, to the members that are in that deal. So uh, that's the way we're generally involved going forward. And in addition to kind of connecting them within the ecosystem, if there are things that they need, um, connecting them with potential follow-on funding, um, if there are investors that, that would align with what they're doing, in a couple other ways that we, we tend to be helpful. Yeah, no. Um, so 150 investors, um, how many companies have, has the network invested in? Yeah, we've invested in 19 companies okay. and 23 transactions. So we've done a couple follow-on fundings. Um, and the funding amount to date is roughly? It's uh, right around $11 million now. So substantial sum of money being thrown at these companies. Yeah, so the, the average is obviously right over a half million dollars per deal. Yep. Uh, the median is, is probably closer to 350, 300 to 350 per deal. Okay. So, um, so that's kind of the range that we, we tend to tell companies, you know, this is somewhere between the $300,000 and $500,000 range is what we're aiming for. Um, but that varies based on the stage of the companies, the, um, the size of the round they're raising, the size of the allocation that we have. Um, the experience of the management team. There are a lot of factors there, yeah. but uh, but some somewhere usually between the the three and five hundred thousand dollar range. Although that has gone as high as 
um, close to two million on a couple deals. Okay. Um, so, Gazelle, you watch a video, you get a due <laughs> diligence report, you got two weeks to make a decision on this young company. Um, I remember the first time I, I watched a, a, a pitch from a company um, and I saw the hockey stick uh -huh. and then I saw the competition chart and they were like all by themselves out there on the top right. And then the revenue was going to be like 120 oh, yeah. million after like two days. Right. And it's like, yes. Of course. Yeah. So how do you do, how do you, how do you go through that information and make a, an informed decision, so to speak? You know, I, I, for me, I would say it's a couple of things. Um, one is, um, I, I think I try to really focus in on the founding team or the management team. Yeah. Um, and I think that even if, let's say I'm behind the idea, like I really love the product, the technology, the this problem that it's solving, like assuming that's the case, because that's usually the easy thing to get behind. Yeah. Assuming that's the case, um, I really focus first and foremost on the experience of the management team, the energy that comes from that individual, um, what kind of um, intentions that they have in terms of growth and in terms of people, in terms of how they want to build out a team. Um, I think that largely comes from being at Accenture and really having an appreciation for um, how much um, authentic leadership really drives um, success. And so I feel like that to me is a lot of what I end up spending my time focusing in on. So. You know, um, it's very easy to, I think, look at the numbers and get super excited because obviously Brett and team have done a really good job. They're not going to bring me a deal that doesn't have really exciting numbers behind it. Uh, so I think it's a little bit of going inside um, and, and really checking in on what is that, what is the quality and what is the caliber of that team and, and, and how they plan to make that happen. That really ends up being a lot of what drives it for us. Um, you know, clearly there's something to be said for looking, especially because of the deals that we're getting, where they are in that phase. They've usually had some type of round prior to us or maybe they've had some type of friends and family and so you know I think there's something to be said for um, you, you know what has happened up until this particular point what's driving them to be at this next level of, of taking in capital um, that I think kind of again a lot I think allows us to answer some questions about um, historical um, experience in terms of how the company has been performing and, and what types of habits they're adopting and trying to continue to, to, to move forward um, so that's a lot of what I would say I spend time on. I mean, I can look at the numbers, and like I said, I, it, it, it would be unusual to sometimes look at the numbers. I mean, you know, you can go back. I think we've had questions about IP before, and that's not really something that I know a ton about. So when I hear, um, you know, concepts that, that are unfamiliar to me, to be able to go back to Brett or to go back to the management team and have them unpack that a little bit um, might be something that, because it's uncharted territory, I want to make sure I really fully get. Um, and so some of those things have come up for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely trying to get your head wrapped around a lot of information in a short amount of time, um, but also recognizing that, you know, you're doing it at, I would say, an investment point that also feels, you know, it's a matter of making sure you come up with the investment point that feels right. Yeah. And, and to piggyback on that, one of the, the things that's really important to us is that our diligence reports don't end in a thesis or a recommendation. Uh, they are purely informational. And um, and one of the things that a lot of our members really like is that they have to go through the mental exercise of making a, their own investment decision. So uh, that's one of the things that, while it, it would be easier sometimes if we could just say the strength of the deal or the um, or recommend something. A lot of the members really like the fact that we don't. That, yeah. That it, the decision's yeah. on them at the end of the day. And even when I feel like I called you for this last deal, and I was probably one of the last few maybe that was calling to make my final decision about a deal, and I was asked a couple questions, and I was like, all right, I think we're in. And he's like, okay, good, because with your investment, we've now triggered something that's going to allow us to get another, you know, um, if, uh, infusion of, of money to come in. He's like, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want it to sway where you were coming down on this, which I really appreciated. Oh. But at the same time, that once he told me that, I was like, oh, well, that's fantastic. That almost was like this ex extra boost. But yeah. again, I appreciated the, the fact that he kind of kept that from me to make sure that I was still thinking about it in, in the way that made sense for, for what I was doing. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do, um, so again, you're in Charlotte. Uh, it's in, it's in Raleigh. Um, do you know, do you know some of the other local folks that are doing it? Do y'all correspond or do you have a couple people in Raleigh that you talk about the deals or is it just mainly you and your husband that just kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit? Yeah. 
Or do you kick your husband out of the room? Too, or just I was gonna say, I think he would say I probably make the. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I would say I, I, I think no. I don't think I would probably do a whole lot of outreach. Yeah. I think the extent of what I've ever done is really called Brett up. Um, now, with that said. Um, I think I have enough familiarity because I've spent time at NC State, and especially when I see deals that are coming and they're being supported by, you know, the College of Engineering. And <clears throat> excuse me, there's, you know, I'm looking at where some of the, um, the pedigree or some of the experience of some of these people are, and I have enough familiarity with the university or with the um, some of the major programs um, that are happening across campus that I probably have a little bit more. Um, insight, I guess you could say, because I can tie it back to what I also know might be happening at state and where I know we are, you know, high priorities for, for the university. Um, but, you know, I think also at the deal flow that we're going through, um, it, it has never really felt like um, I needed to necessarily bring in a whole lot more in terms of, of getting to that point. So the cadence is digestible. Very much so. Very, and I really appreciate that because yeah. I will say that you know Brett sends a lot of emails, but at the same time, you know, we, and he really owns up to that. But at the same time, it's all meaningful information um, that I do think the flow of which is appropriate. I think if it was probably, I think it keeps the momentum going at the pace that we're going at. I think that if it were to probably kind of come in a whole lot faster, some of it could easily turn into spam. Yeah. I have a feeling, and I know firsthand, that he looks at a lot more deals than we ever get insight into. Um, and so I kind of have to trust that that process is happening. Mm -hmm. And so when the um, information does get sent over, um, that it's worthwhile to look at. Yeah. Now you divulged some unfortunate information earlier that your husband went to Duke. Yes. Um, they also have a program, um, which is, I think, the Duke Angel Network. Is that, do y'all participate there as well, or do you only run it through the better program run by Brett? Right, yeah, so we only are members at Win. Yeah, um, it's a good decision. It is, yeah, yeah. we, you know, it's funny, um, we have, yeah, no, we have not really, the, the, pro, the investor network of Duke has not crossed our radar. Okay. Um, and I think part of it is we spend a lot of time at NC State. We um, spend a lot of time supporting the university. Um, I think our chancellor is amazing, and I, I'm incredibly supportive of the deans. And I think that a lot of what the university right now is doing um, is groundbreaking. And I feel like it's not just a matter of you know the the technology and the products and, and the, the the research that's coming out of NC State, but our alumni are doing phenomenal things in um, in the community and in the marketplace. And so the idea and the opportunity to get behind that um, just is incredibly meaningful and powerful for us. And so yeah, we bleed red. Yeah, no, well, I'll buy you a beer later. <laughs> um, so Brett, despite that, y'all have a good working relationship with the other people. Um, so what, what's that, I mean, what's that like work, not working with people from Carolina do, because I know that's not a positive experience, but how does the actual, um, correspondence and coordination of stuff between the three universities work? Yeah. So each university has uh, a program that looks really similar, um, and has a, has similar objectives, um, to, you know, engage their alumni in a certain way and to, to fund companies tied to the university in a certain way. Uh, but the networks end up looking pretty different. One of the things that uh, ends up being a little bit unique about ours is that with most NC State alums staying within the state, uh, the in-person meetings are a much bigger piece of what we do than, uh, than what I perceive they are at, at Duke or Carolina. Yeah. Um, as it... Duke and Carolina grads are generally going to be more spread around the country, um, so, so getting back on a monthly basis for a, an angel meeting is, is going to be a little tougher. So uh, that is one of the things that's a little bit different about ours. Um, and then the breadth of companies uh, industry-wise that we see is also pretty different. Uh, as you would imagine, NC State, the, the companies come from all corners of the university, um, software companies, med device companies, materials science, consumer products. It's, it really is all over the map. Um, but when we work together... Um, when you we, say you, you mean the other three, the other two universities? Sorry, when, when the three universities work together, um, we do that when there is a deal um, where the management team overlaps multiple universities. So just because Wynn is doing a deal doesn't mean that Carolina or Duke are going to do that deal. Um, but if there is a connection to um, 
NC State and there's a connection to Duke, then we'll work together on a deal. If there's a connection to NC State and Carolina, then we'll work together on a deal. Um, and if uh, all three are connected, well, then we'll, we'll share diligence. Um, has there been an overlap with all three yet? There has, yep. Okay. Um, there have been a, a couple, um, probably off the top of my head, probably four or five where we've overlapped with um, with Carolina, probably four or five where they've over, overlapped with Duke. Um, we're doing one now where we overlap with Duke, and then there have been one or two that have overlapped, you know, all three universities. So when that happens, we try to consolidate um, the diligence efforts to not take the company's time, yeah. and then uh, in some situations we'll actually combine our member meetings, um, which is just kind of a fun, uh, fun way to do it, and and that depends on a variety of factors, but um, but we will try to combine as much of the, the pieces of the process as we can um, to make it more efficient for companies and um, to hopefully leverage a little bit more expertise from different sides of, uh, of the different universities yeah. uh, where we, we don't overlap. Okay. Um, and, we, and we call that the, um, the Triangle Venture Alliance, okay. which is really a, a handshake between the three universities that we want to be helpful to each other. And it's, it's proven to be a really good model. Uh, because all of our alumni bases are different, um, but we want to figure out ways to, to work together on things. Okay. Um, what's the goal with, um, with WIN? So you're, you've done 19 deals, 150 members, deployed a little over $11 million in capital. Um, 200 members, 500 members, or is it not a membership? Is it, what's, the, what's the impact that you're looking for, right? Yeah, in, in some ways it's almost hard to answer because Wynn has exceeded every goal that had been set out for it at the university. You know, I think people had hoped that within five years we'd have 100 members and that in those five years those members would deploy maybe three or four million dollars okay. in capital. And in half of that time we got to 150 members and they deployed 10 million dollars in capital. So, um, so thinking about goals is almost difficult, but... But yeah, we, we want to keep growing the membership. We have about 150 right now. Um, we would love to get to kind of 200 or 225. I think at that point, we'll start to think about um, how are we serving? Maybe are there different ways to serve members uh, differently, right? Like local members versus um, remote members and, and start to think about some of that because our meetings are really fun because 70 to 80 of our members show up for our meetings and it's a it's usually a different crowd every night so we've probably got 120 members that will come to meetings and it's you know 70 or 80 on a given night okay. and we want those meetings to be exciting and to have a lot of people in the room but we also don't want them to turn into a conference right where you know there are 400 people there and you know it, it's not intimate we want it to be in a, a fun intimate network, not, you know, a huge conference. So I think once we get to kind of the, the 200 to 225 member range, we'll start to think more clearly about some of those things. But in general, we want to, we want to be a legitimate source of funding for NC State affiliated companies. We want to help build the NC State um, startup ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and one of the goals is to have more members out of the Charlotte area. For sure. Um, so, and in that sense, um, Gazelle, for a couple of different reasons, is kind of perfect. She's female, and she's in Charlotte, um, and she's really energetic as well, right? So, how do you replicate that? How do you find more Charlotte people? Do you come down here more often? Um, does it require you to invest in a couple of different Charlotte-based companies, um, which is hard? Because um, um, I don't know of a lot of founders here in Charlotte yet, although I had breakfast, as you all know, earlier with somebody. But what enables you to, to break through Charlotte a little bit more and grow the network here? And because uh, feel free to chime in and um, as well. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I know my perspective. Like, so yeah. a couple of things. Um, I think Brett's doing a really good job of also recognizing the need to spend more time in Charlotte. Yeah. And so I think with a lot of things with NC State, it's being able to tell our story. There's such a great story at NC State in every facet of the university, and of course I'm incredibly biased, but I do feel like we have a really great story, and part of it is we need to get the story out. The story a lot of times um, can live very loudly in Raleigh or in the RTP, and when you get into Charlotte, we need to be able to do a stronger job of 
talking about um, a lot of the things that are happening at the university. We need to be able to demonstrate the um, activities that our alumni are out and doing. And so I think part of it is being able to tell our story. We tell our story by being able to bring people to Charlotte and have folks in Charlotte be able to see that first and foremost. I think that's super important. I think the other thing, um, and, and I think that's starting to happen, and I think we'll probably see more of that. I think the other thing is, I, um, to your point about not knowing necessarily a lot of um, found, founders of, of companies that are in Charlotte, I think part of it is is we need to be um, picking up more rocks and, and like seeing what's underneath them. And, and I have a feeling that more of, of those individuals might be within the greater Charlotte area. Um, and it's a matter of being able to um, connect the dots and being able to, again, tap back into our alumni network here and be able to be in a position to understand what people are really doing. Um, I even feel like having been involved on the philanthropy side of the university, a lot of times it's just a matter of who no one's been around to ask. And once we get around and we start asking and looking and seeing what people are doing and being able to connect the dots back to university and inviting people to come back and see it, their minds are blown in terms of what they're doing. I'm at an age now where some of my friends um, from college, our kids are starting to look to go to college. And so they're kind of going back for the first time and they're seeing the university for the first time in some cases outside of maybe going to a football game. And they're probably seeing um, uh, a lot of the things and learning about um, some of the investments and some of the um, advancements that have been made. And I think um, some of that is, again, it's just a matter of, of making sure we're connecting the dots. A little easier said than done. Yeah. And I think part of that happens by just frankly showing up and being able to do forums like this one, having the meeting that we had a couple of weeks ago where the WIND Network got together in Charlotte for the first time. I think we'll be able to do more of those um, uh, events and, and hopefully we'll be able to uncover some of, of where those kind of diamonds exist. But you're also kind of like a, I mean, um uh, to a certain extent, like a, um, like, like a unicorn, right? Because there's um, you were corporate America consulting. A lot of what you see in this space from the early stage investing is you know previous business owners that have sold their business that have capital to deploy, or startup founders or people that worked in a startup that just know and understand the space. I mean, you came from one of the large consulting places. You were a partner and you, I mean, so like you don't see many of you stepping into this world. And that's a lot of what we have in Charlotte right now, right? Is it's a lot of big corporate type people. Um, how do we, how do we find more like you? Right? <laughs> do agree that it, you know our we were this this banking community and I think we have this reputation for it for a lot of the the right reasons, which is why we've had all of these other businesses grow around um, what Charlotte has traditionally been known for. Um, but I would also say that um, part of it is that you know it's it's where the, the where the noise is being made or, or where there is the most energy, where there's the most he like headlines being ha happening, which is where people gravitate towards. Um, I know just even from looking around my own network um, that there are a lot of other um, interesting business owners who are trying to either figure out how to grow their businesses or how to, you know, it's funny, I think a lot of times people think like, oh, I've got this small business and I don't want to make it so big that I all of a sudden lose my DNA and lose my culture. But at the same time, though, at the same time, there's this competing priority with wanting to watch it grow and wanting to watch it flourish. And um, I think that's where we have this sweet spot because of where we look at wind deals we're not necessarily talking about, you know, series B, series C, like, you know, people that are trying to be way far beyond in their, um, in, in their growth story. I think where we are in terms of the types of deals wins looking at is actually at that sweet spot where we probably do have more of those, um, entrepreneurs in the community who probably, you know, like you were commenting earlier, companies that might say, Hey, my business model doesn't necessarily lend itself to needing to, to raise capital, being respectful of that, but then also being ed educating business owners on, okay, well, depending on what your growth plans are, this might be another reason why you would consider capital or why you would consider an acquisition strategy or something, something else. And I think that's where our responsibility is past just, you know, telling our story. And maybe it's also helping to inform and educate people who are trying to do some 
endeavor and probably don't recognize additional alternatives that might be made available to them by thanks to, to angel networks. And I think that's hopefully some of what we can do so that we're not just having to focus in on the corporate guys who you, you know may not necessarily always align back to, to this message, but to all of those other individuals who might in fact have some excitement around it. Yeah. And something I'll add to that too is that one of the one of the valuable pieces about a an angel network that has a professional staff is that we can provide resources that make angel investing a little bit more approachable. So I would say of our group, um, probably less than a third are um, our entrepreneurs, you know, have, have built and uh, sold their own business or build, have built and are running their own business. Some, another, another group are kind of tied to the entrepreneurial ecosystem in their roles, maybe as attorneys or, um, or in other roles. But I would say the, the vast majority of our members are kind of in corporate America. Um, and so you're helping them. This is the bad thing about corporate America, right? Because they're, um, and I've never been in it, so it's easy for me to say bad things about corporate America. Um, but they've got so much money that they oftentimes just throw money at a problem. Where startups, you can't throw a bunch of money at a problem, right? You gotta, and so you're helping those corporate America people understand how startups are gonna tackle something without a $10 million budget that they might be accustomed to otherwise. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the things, too, is that the experience that people who have spent time in really large companies bring to a small company is a lot of times different than the other advice they're getting from around the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be really helpful in some situations, you know, what it looks like to, um, to build and manage a sales team. I was talking to one of our members about that this morning, right? That building and managing a sales team is different than being the, the main advocate for your, for your product. Yeah. Right. And then being the sales team. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that is a skill and that's a skill that is learned in a really big company when you have to move through, you know, sales roles into sales leadership. And so I think there's some of those skills that, that a lot of our members can bring to and advise companies on, um, either where they've invested or in companies they haven't invested in. Um, we try to keep a, pretty good list of our members and their expertise and how we could plug them into, you know, a company that we know. And I think that is how you, one of the ways you engage corporate America in quotes, right. Um, into this world is seeing what is, what are the skills that they can bring to be helpful to companies and how can they really engage with companies, um, at an hour a week or, two hours a month or something like that in a way that makes it a little bit more personal to them and makes them part of the story. Do y'all, um, so you see 150 deals, give or take a year, you bring eight to 12 to the membership. Um, do you kind of stay in touch with the, a good portion of the ones that you don't bring because you might bring them. Um, so it's not a, Hey, pitch to us. And then it's either you're in or you're out. Some of them, you kind of continue to nudge along because they're not quite there yet, but you're hoping they'll be there in 6, 12, 18 months or something like that? Yeah. So the, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. This, we tend to look, I tend to look at companies on, on two axes, those being entrepreneur experience and traction in the market. Mm-hmm. The more experience an entrepreneur has, the earlier we'll go on the traction side. And, uh, the less experience a an entrepreneur has, you know, the more traction we'll want to see in the market. So, um, so you can you can pretty clearly see those two quadrants are, are probably the main places we play. For companies that um, for inexperienced entrepreneurs who don't have a lot of traction yet, um, we do try to stay really close to them and figure out ways to be helpful to them. One of the ways that we have kind of developed to be helpful to those companies is in what we're calling early seed feedback sessions, where for about 30 minutes before one of our meetings, before one of our you know investment opportunity presentation meetings, we'll have that entrepreneur come, and any members that want to come, you know, 30 minutes early to the meeting can come, listen to the pitch for 10 minutes, and then provide them 
you know, ask hard questions and provide feedback. Sometimes it can be hard to get honest questions um, from investors uh, because they, they want to keep courting you yeah. as, a, as an early stage company. And that's one of the ways that we've seen to kind of be helpful to companies and, um, and to kind of tie them into our process a little bit so that, so it creates for early stage companies in the ecosystem, it creates a little bit more clarity on what is a fit for what, what I'd call kind of win main stage in terms of investment opportunities, but then they can see some of their peers um, presenting at this early stage investment or uh, early seed investment, uh, sorry, early seed feedback session so that they know, okay, this is more what I look like and this is how I would engage with win right now. Yeah. And those are deals that we hope to, yeah, we hope to move them to the, to the main stage or the investment opportunity group, you know, within nine to 18 months. Okay. Yeah. And I've had a couple, um, companies or really entrepreneurs who've reached out people I've just known in Charlotte, um, who have said, Hey, I, I see you're on Wing, and I, I think you're involved with the Wolfpack investor network. Would you mind getting me connected? And in one case in particular, I'm thinking about, um, I was pretty blunt and said, I'm happy to make an introduction for you. Truth be told, I think what you're doing is really early and chances are it's probably not going to hit the radar, but Hey, I'll, I'll be happy to make an email. And this was with Brett's predecessor. And he was so gracious. Took, I mean, he was so happy to take the the call with the with this with this gentleman, and the, the, he turned back around and let me know. Thank you so much for the introduction. It was very evident it was not going to be an immediate conversation. But you know, I know um, the guy who reached out to me certainly benefited from the conversation. Got on the radar. Um, you know, may or may not come up to something a couple of years down the road. But I know as a win member, I at least was really excited about the fact that. You know, we were able to have a conversation. They were able to have a conversation, and it clearly provided some value. And who knows? Maybe it will circle back around. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. And one of the things we try to do is be really clear about, um, about when we're going to present a company and when we're not. What is a fit for us and what's not. So, um, I think even it, we have some members who will who love to introduce companies to us. Um, maybe even for their own. Um, kind of process. So if they meet an early stage company who's looking for investors, they might kick them over to win. And if it comes through our process, it comes back as an investment opportunity, then that member might might look at the deal. But it's an easy way for, for members to send companies to us as a, as a helpful place to send them. And usually I will tell a company, you know, up front, hey, this looks like it might be too early for us, but I'm, I'm happy to, you know, meet in person or hop on the phone and talk through it. Um, one, so you understand where we are, and two, to find a way to be helpful to you. Yes. Being within the university and, and working with a lot of entrepreneurs who are alums, we want to make sure that we're, we're super helpful. And just being in the space in general, we want to make sure we're helpful. Yeah. Right. I think one of the comments, you know, I feel like I've heard a couple of times is at the end of the day, any startup that continues to get um, funding in order to improve their chances of being successful helps us all out. And so, you know, we, even if it's not in some cases a great fit for when, maybe it will be for another place and being able to direct people to where it makes the most sense for them to go ultimately benefits all of us and who are in the space of wanting to support, um, young companies in, in their own growth. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Um, so what are your, um, what are your expectations when you join when, um, was it to invest in, uh, I was going to say we work, but that's a horrible example because it's about to go under, um, and Uber and Lyft and I mean, you keep going, but was it to invest in a company that goes public? Was it to do early stage investing? I mean, what was the initial expectation when you, when you stepped into it? So when we first stepped into it, I will say, um, one hesitation was, um, what does this deal size going to look like? Because you know, without even having any, I mean, we had some of an idea about some of the companies that Wynn had been investing in, but not having a really full, I mean, it was still relatively new. So not knowing where the, um, how the deals were going to be structured at what price point was that one that was even going to make sense for, for what was interesting to us. And so I think, um, one of our, so we set the expectation amongst ourselves pretty early on and said, you know, we might look at one deal a year, maybe two, um, and, and basically just kind of see how it feels and we'll reevaluate after a year. Mm -hmm. Um, in that first year we did invest in one deal. Um, and we were pretty excited about it because again, it kind of was, um, something that we thought, oh, is it this one of, um, uh, the deals that was, it was a company that was looking at AI very differently and having my husband and I both having some technology background, we, you know, kind of saw that as a, uh, something that was being, um, replicated a lot of different places, but seeing it done for the first time in a much more common sense way 
seemed like something we were interested in. And so that was our first foray into a, making a win deal, I mean, an investment in a win deal. Um, and so I think going into it, our expectations were kind of low. Like, let's try to maybe look at this and after a year, we'll reevaluate, we'll see what kinds of deals there are. Um, our other expectation I would say was, um, you know, we wanted to, um, reserve the right to revisit our membership after we saw which industries were being um, most supported. So if everything was going to be super tech-centric um, and it was all you know, in, in kind of a more um, traditional NC State, uh, the, 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 the degrees or the areas that NC State's the most known for, um, that's great, but weren't sure if, if there was going to be enough diversity to keep our interest over time. And that definitely proved to be really wrong. I mean, the fact that um, and I think Brett talked a little bit about the different um, sectors um, mm -hmm. that have kind of come up. So I think, if anything, we kept our expectations pretty low. Yeah. And so, and, and we kind of kept our eye out for, you know, diversity of the deals and the, um, and the size of the deals. And if those were going to be things that felt right to us, um, then we would re-up the second year. And um, I think that kind of came to fruition the way we did, needed it to. Um, I do feel like the first year was also a little tricky figuring out the remote thing. Mm -hmm. Being in Charlotte, and I think we made it pretty clear from the beginning, I don't think I'll be making my way up to Raleigh for a two-hour meeting on a, a Wednesday night. And so uh, my expectation was it was going to be really hard to get plugged in. And I think the first year it took some time to finally get our feet underneath us and understand how that was going to work. And I think now it's becoming a little bit more... Um, it's just becoming better. And I think part of why it's becoming better is there's more people outside of Raleigh to now solve for. And at first there really wasn't. And so I think that was another thing that was kind of important. How do you handle, um, so you're doing the direct investment aspect of it, right? Um, through when as a result, um, how do you handle the K one? Was that a curveball on the first go round? Do you have an LLC that you, or did you just handle everything as it kind of flows through? We have had set up an LLC. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so that manages it yep. very simply for you. Yep. Okay. Um, and I would say that, is that um, probably majority? a third of our members have a vehicle through which they invest. Yeah. Um, and probably two thirds invest directly every time. Um, some mix it up, different investments. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, we see both of those pretty regularly. So you've seen enough structures between an LLC, trust, and probably even some IRAs that mm -hmm. um, that y'all are comfortable in the companies that y'all end up investing in or comfortable with the um, the money coming from different places. Right, yeah, and we usually, we set that up with the company beforehand to let them know the different ways members have historically invested and the ways they probably will want to invest and make sure that um, they're okay with that ahead of time. They generally are. Yeah. The opportunity to pitch to 150 angel investors usually makes them okay with a lot of things pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, um, do you think? And I know the answer. So, take it a different. Uh, how how have your days at Accenture helped you as an early stage investor? So I was in an interesting position at Accenture. The last probably five, six years I was at Accenture, I actually worked on uh, a couple of large acquisitions that Accenture did. Okay. And so, which is unique. Not everybody that's within the consulting space ends up being on, a, on working on deals to that degree. Um, so, you know, clearly from a tactical standpoint, I basically became very familiar with the idea of due diligence and understood all of the aspects of going through that process. Um, clearly looking at it from a capital injection is a little bit different from acquisition, but at least in terms of just familiarity with the way deal processes work and the things that become increasingly more important, how you identify synergies, the importance of the management team, how you look at retention, how you look at the, the, the hockey stick yeah. and, and all of those things. I think tactically that kind of was something that I was able to resonate with pretty easily because of that. Um, and I touched on this also a little earlier. I think the biggest thing too is um, being able to focus in back on that management team. So because I feel like you know Accenture solves a lot of really complicated problems and does some really amazing large transformational change and there's a lot of different ways to approach any ones of, of the projects that ever kind of came in front of us. One of the consistent messages though you would always hear is around um, you know, approaching uh, every problem with authenticity and being able to um, really look at your people and being able to make sure you're creating this culture that um, encourages um, innovation and that invites people to want to do their best and bring other people along with them. 
and I think because that's really the, the approach, that's the, that is what I consider to be a, a high-performing uh, environment. Um, when I look at other companies, I really focus in really quick, quickly on management, the, the style of the management team, what kind of incentives they're putting in place for their people, what kind of culture are they building, because I ultimately think there's probably a lot of different ways they can solve the problem I'm trying to solve. Um, what is typically a lot harder to just you know, make up is what kind of culture and people environment you're kind of create, because I've seen really amazing um, and a really great strong culture and how that can really bring people together to want to do something really well um, and how much that makes a difference. And so that really brings me when I'm looking at these deals and I'm talking and I'm seeing these these entrepreneurs who are, almost always have done something previous that's ridiculously successful and awesome. And so you kind of have that, but then you're watching and, and hearing and looking for what are those other things they're trying to do to bring people together in order to create a culture that will lend itself to people wanting to be successful for all the right reasons. That's cool. Um, so we're coming up on the end of our time, and I want to be respectful for both of you because I know you have places to be. Um, so one more question, kind of short question for, for each of you. Um, what's been the most surprising benefit of being a part of WIN? Um, yeah, so I will say that the most surprising benefit is um, being able to get a much closer look at what our alumni are doing. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, there was a, an amazing um, deal that we recently got exposure to the UVision 360, and um, I learned about femtech. I didn't even know femtech was a word, and it is um, this uh, amazing technology that was being created um, by an, an, an NC State alum, and um, they were really trying to solve for. Um, I'm not going to mess this up. Hysteroscopy and cystoscopy. Yes. Um, and you know, I didn't being able to understand that there is this woman who is an NC State alum who is really helping to change the way um, feminine procedures are happening inside doctors' offices, helping to drive down costs, helping to make a more positive patient experience. And she was doing it, is doing it with um, incredible success, and looking at it in this most interesting, innovative way. I was blown away, and I, that's just one example of probably many that are out there where, you know, I'm, I've already have my little purview into what I think, you know, I know the people from NC State have been doing really awesome things, but then to be able to get exposure to some of these other areas and sectors um, and to see that really helping to, to make such a difference um, has been awesome. That's cool. That's uh, uh, a really good point. Um, Brett, how do founders in Charlotte with ties to NC State find out more about having them be a partner? Yeah. Investor, partner and investor. Yeah, so um, the easiest thing to do is um, is to visit our website, and you can find my email address there. Um, that's wolfpackinvestornetwork.com, and uh, maybe you can throw it in the, the show notes. And yeah, no, absolutely. They'll have a link. So, um, and, you know, maybe just for, for clarity, we tend to look at companies um, in the kind of late C to Series A range. Uh, we will look at things a little bit earlier than that. We will look at things a little bit later than that. Um, generally, because our affinity requirement is so narrow, we end up being pretty broad on both stage and on industry. So um, so more than happy to, to speak with any um, you know, NC State affiliated uh, early stage companies and see how we can be helpful. And I would assume also investors too. Yes, we would love to connect with, uh, with NC State affiliated um, angel investors or soon to be angel investors. Um, I think one of the things that we have really, we've seen with our group is that it's, it's been a, a pretty friendly place to learn about angel investing and to become an angel investor. Um, I think we've really put together a, a fun group, an impressive group, that um, some of which have a lot of angel investing uh, experience and many of which don't and uh, or didn't before they started yeah. and um, so uh, if a, if somebody wants to join it's a, it's a $1,500 annual membership fee that gets you access to all the deals all the meetings all the diligence um, and then uh, there's never a a requirement to invest. So uh, we have 150 members, and about 115 of them have actually written a check mm -hmm. so far. So um, a lot of people have asked, you know, are you going to put a minimum investment number requirement in, you know, to to make sure people are investing? And really, we haven't had to, right? Yeah. Because most of our members are engaged in investing. So um, 
so would love to connect with uh, anybody interested in on, on either side of that. Um, and like we talked about earlier, I'm, I'm planning to be in Charlotte uh, a lot more. Um, been down twice in six weeks, I think. So um, uh, plan to be down here regularly and, and make sure I connect into the, the ecosystem here. Well, thanks for making the impact on the ecosystem level. And then thanks also for coming down to Charlotte. Um, it's great to meet you. Thanks so much for having both of you on the podcast. Um, I can't believe it's already been 58 minutes, but um, really quick, fun conversation. But uh, thanks to both of you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us. It's great. Yeah. No. yeah. Thanks for having us. William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey & Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey & Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey & Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.